Welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. here in my office. I'm here with Tim and Pastor Ben, and we are going to close out our conversation on communion. So we're coming to the end of our time talking about the row, talking about our, our worship services, and we've we've done a lot of episodes on our worship service. Um, so if you haven't listened into those, you can just go through um, the episodes and find any of the ones that are titled The Row, uh, part one, two, three, etc. Um, I think that we're on the eighth part now. And so now we're the second part about talking about communion. And so, Pastor Ben, can you just give us a brief rundown of last week, what we talked about and, and where we landed about what communion is and what it does in the Lutheran context? Yeah, just really quickly, we refer to communion as a sacrament, which uh, is a word that means mystery. And so when we view a sacrament, we as Lutherans identify two sacraments, and what they are is a promise connected to a visible, tangible, touchable item. And so we have Holy Baptism and we have Holy Communion. And so we were focusing our time on Holy Communion. And what we were talking about in that sacrament is Christ's promise to bring life, salvation, and forgiveness to us through the eating of the bread and the wine, through his true presence in the sacrament. And like we said many, many times, we don't understand it but we also are unwilling to try to go through intellectual gymnastics to explain it away. And we talked about how in John 6, Jesus was very clear what he was saying about this, this future institution of communion. It didn't make sense at the time, but when people asked him about it, which it seemed like cannibalism in the moment, he doubled down and said, this is what I'm talking about, uh, actually participating in my body the true presence of my body, my flesh, my blood. And then later on, when he was having that last supper with the disciples, he once again stepped into that same language. And in that moment, the disciples got it. They understood it. They understood that this was a special way of interacting with him and interacting with the life that he brings through that moment. So as Lutherans, we don't understand it. It's still a mystery, but we take Christ at his word in John 6, repeated in the words of institution, and then once again uh, mentioned multiple times as well later on in the scripture in practices of how to practice it, and once again, another reiteration of those words, again, by the Apostle Paul. And so, like I said, we take it at its word, and we go reverently forward, we accept what Christ is giving us, and we celebrate that. And that's the Lutheran understanding. I believe that's it's a, a very beautiful way to encounter Christ, a tool that God has given us to move forward in our spiritual journey. All right. Thank you, Pastor Ben. And then we'll, let's uh, move on. So that's what we covered last week. We won't dig back into that, but let's move on this week to talk about how we here at New Life practice uh, communion. And so, Tim, I'm going to have you kind of answer this as someone who um, your role is not one of a pastor, so you don't preside over 
the sacrament the way that Pastor Ben and I do. So as somebody who participates in the sacrament every week, as someone who um, observes what Pastor Ben and I do as we preside over, what do you experience and how do we do communion here at New Life? So the way we do communion here at New Life is either by intention or taking the elements separately. And uh, both ways are fine. Um, Both ways are the, it, it doesn't matter like the way you take it. Um, it just matters uh, where your heart is uh, when you take the elements. And one of the things that um, I really appreciate that we do here at New Life is we we take our time with communion. Uh, e- although in second service we do it every week, um, it's never a rushed process. And we do a really good job of making it feel fresh and new every single time we take communion. And so that's one of the things that I really uh, appreciate about um, the way we do communion here. And another thing that we do is we also, we always say the words of institution. So yeah, we say the words of institution and um, just reminding us of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, reminding us what communion is. And we also explain extremely well about what communion is and why we take it and why, um, like what element, what the elements represent. And so, um, just as a, as a person who participates in it every single week, um, that's the, those are the things that really pop out to me. Tim mentioned that we take it two different ways here. Um, we take it either by intinction or by taking the elements separately. So can you just give us somebody who might not be familiar with those words? What, what is that? Sure. When you when you walk into new life and you experience communion, about every other time we're rotating this process, and so during the first week of the month, we receive the elements separately, which means you will walk up, you'll be handed the bread. Now, what's interesting about that is is the bread that we serve in the first week of the month is leavened, um, and that's because there's scholars that debate about when the Lord's Supper actually happened. Some believe it was on Passover. Some believe it was before Passover. And so there's this ongoing debate because the the gospel writers are a little bit cloudy on this. And so some people are really staunch on saying it has to be leavened or unleavened and things like that. So when I walked into pastoral leadership here, they already functioned this way and there was really no reason to change it. So the, the first week we receive... Leaven bread, we tear it off the the host bread for everyone to receive, and then they receive a little a little beaker of wine, and we also have grape juice if people uh, either don't like the wine or they're recovering alcoholics or things of that nature, they can receive the grape juice instead, and then we do have gluten free wafers available if that's a that's a struggle for them physically, and so that's uh, the taking the elements separately looks like here at New Life. The one that we do more commonly is intinction, and that's actually unleavened bread, and then you dip it into the wine, and so that's emblematic of, of Christ talking about how there seems to be some implication in the Lord's Supper that there was a dipping of the bread into the wine. And so intinction is simply receiving the bread, dipping it into the wine, and then receiving it into your, into your mouth before sitting down once again. Just like before, we offer grape juice as well as a substitute and gluten-free wafers as a substitute as as well. 
And so those are the, the two major styles that we partake in. And we always have people come forward. We don't pass it through the aisles. I know that's a common practice in some traditions. And everyone has a slightly different tradition, but ours has been that you you come forward towards the altar, towards the cross. You are coming to Christ to receive what he is offering. And whether it's leavened bread or unleavened bread, uh, we're less concerned about that. We're really just concerned about what God is doing. And that should be our major focus, that this is a gift from God. We're coming to receive it. And so many people respond once they receive it. They'll say, thanks be to God, because I'm receiving Thank you, God, for what I'm receiving. So there's different responses people will say. Some people say amen. Some people say that response, thanks be to God. And there's a kind of a myriad of responses. Some people will will make the sign of the cross over their heart, remembering that that God is God is a part of them and they want God to always be a part of them. And so those are the two ways that we typically will receive it. We do have a, a third way that uh, very rarely, just because it takes a lot of time, we will receive it by going to kneelers. So we have the traditional kneelers up front. And when we do that, that could be by intention or by taking the elements separately, but you would kneel and the pastors then would serve you and you'd receive the bread, the wine and so forth. And then you actually receive the blessing right there. Now, when we do that, uh, when we've done that this one time this past year, only the pastors resided, but we do come from a tradition where we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And so you won't necessarily have a pastor serve you on a Sunday. It could be anyone because we are all ordained uh, into our priesthood through our baptism and through what God has done in our lives and the faith that we have. And so we will have servers, believers across the board who will also hand out and gift the sacrament to you so you can receive it from God. So my next question then is, you who can take communion? So this is uh, this is a debate in Christian circles. It's it's a debate in Lutheran circles. So it's not even everything we've talked about so far. I would say across the board, uh, if you're Lutheran, if you claim that title and you fall in the writings of Luther and his understanding of Scripture, you, you would agree with us across the board right now. I mean, I, w- I would be shocked if you didn't. Um, however, when we talk about who can receive in a specific church, that's where the debate steps in. And so we have brothers and sisters that we care about deeply in our Lutheran circles that they have what they would call a closed communion or a close communion, depending on who you're talking to, uh, which basically means if you're a member of that church, you can participate, but if you're not, you can't, or if the pastor essentially deems you worthy or that you have the same intellectual understanding you can receive. Uh, We don't have that here. We have what we call open communion. And so uh, we say something very simplistic to open it up just so people feel comfortable. So we give the descriptor of intention or, or taking the elements separately so people know exactly what they're doing because we do want them to feel comfortable and not awkward when they're receiving this gift. Uh, but we do just simply say this. We, we explain what's happening in our understanding. And then we let the people self-select. So uh, really, the only caveat that we put on there is we explain what it is, right? This is an opportunity for us to interact with Christ in a powerful way 
through his true presence in the bread and the wine, offering the benefits that he wants to give to you. And if you want that, and you're a believer in Christ, come forward. Now, now I almost don't even have to say believer in Christ because it's kind of built in to the DNA of the whole the whole moment, right? If you want to come forward and receive the benefits offered by Christ through things that only God can do, God in flesh, this promise to us, come forward. Now, if you didn't believe that, why would you come forward? And it's the same way I look at adult baptism. You would never get baptized as an adult unless you believed what was happening there, that that God was calling you into his family. You wouldn't do it otherwise. So it's kind of built into the, the DNA and the understanding that if you come forward and receive, that there's a strong implication that you are a Christ follower, you're a believer. And so we explain what is offered. We open up the table. We are the servers. We are not the bouncers, right? We don't take on that role. Our job is not to stiff arm people away from the table. It's just simply to declare what God is doing. And if people want to participate in that, they can come forward. In fact, much like confession and forgiveness, we've talked about this. This might actually be their first step in their spiritual journey. That they might be saying there, understand it for the first time, and then step forward and say, this is what I want in my life. This is what I've been missing in my life. And I want Jesus to be a part of my life. And so I'm going to walk up there. I'm going to walk up there boldly or timidly or however posture they have. And I'm going to receive Christ into my life. And guess what? That might be their first step. Now, when I say that, that might be controversial in some Lutheran circles, but not in ours. Because we do practice open communion. Now, there's a whole bunch of reasons that we do that, um, which I think we'll get into later. But that gives you kind of an idea of where we land in that. If we're looking at a simple spectrum of open or closed or close, uh, we practice open communion here at New Life because that's what the LCMC does. And that's actually one of the major reasons that I'm a part of the LCMC and not part of one of our, our other Lutheran entities, denominations in the world. Yeah, and there's a little bit of... um. One thing that you didn't touch on was that that I want to kind of uh, approach is the age of the person that they can, if they can accept it at any age or not. And I just want to kind of piggyback and then transition into that question, because in the formula of Concord, which is the last document and the latest document in our confessions, it actually indicates and it states right there when it's talking about the um, the power of the word of God, that the sacrament can be use for conversion, that the Holy Spirit can use the sacrament, um, not only for the sustaining and strengthening of believers, but also for bringing somebody to faith. And that you can't have faith without hearing, that's from Romans 10, and you might hear the gospel through the sacrament. Um, so so the formula actually indicates that even a non-believer might be able to take it and actually become a believer. They might actually come to faith because of the sacrament. So the formula seems to have a little bit of wiggle room right there, um, at least indicating that there might be a little wiggle room, even if you're a non-believer or a believer, if you can take it, although it doesn't state explicitly. So that's um, where we kind of get into the hairiness of how we interpret what the um, what the confessors um, said and that interpretation of Scripture and also what Scripture says, because the formula does say that... Um, that scripture is the source and the norm of all of our doctrine. And I think the Lutheran 
the Lutheran confessions do a pretty good job of being silent where the scripture is silent. So the confessions, at least um, after just doing a quick, uh, quick bit of research, the confessions don't actually approach the question of children at the, at the table. The confessions themselves don't do that. Um, but there's lots of interpretations about what that means because the confessions do talk about um, understanding what's happening and examining yourself. So, um, but the scripture says nothing about how old someone is when they were, were at the Lord's table. It doesn't say. So some things are just silent and then the confessions are silent about it, um, which I think is good because, but then we have to figure it out on the back end. We kind of have to decide um, based on our conscience, how we're going to um, decide to practice and and be as true to the scriptures as we can be. So, Pastor Ben, can you give us um, kind of where we are as new life at this, kind of maybe where you are, and we can kind of have that conversation. Yeah, it's one of these questions of uh, what came first, the chicken or the egg type scenario. So you'll read many times in Lutheran confessions or you'll hear in your Lutheran church that faith is what makes things efficacious, what makes things work. And so we know that we are we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and a kind of Christ alone, right? That's that's our that's our core. But then we have these sacraments, which uh, it's what makes it kind of confusing. So we have Holy Communion and we have uh, Holy Baptism, and so as Lutherans, we baptize young and old. So we look at the commandment in Matthew twenty-eight. It says, "Baptize, baptize all nations." And so when we word the, when we read the word all, we hear the word all. That's an inclusive word, uh, young and old, rich and poor, black and white. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter your intellectual ascent. Nothing. It's all right. The word is all. And and so once again, just like the old covenant, young people were circumcised, entered into the covenant. In the New Testament, we see that as a continuation of that, the New Covenant, right? And so the New Covenant is baptism, so young and old. Just like young people were circumcised and brought into the Old Covenant, older people were as well in the Old Testament. And so we follow that same pattern, we're young and old. So when I bring my son forward, and he's a month old or less than a month old, and and he gets baptized, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Does Does the baptism spark a, a minuscule amount of faith, uh, there seems to be some implications that that's what happens. Uh, or has God already produced the faith? And I, we don't know. You know, We'll find out in heaven. Uh, but that's kind of where we land as we just follow the instructions. And so, but what we, what we know is when you're brought into the family of Christ, that there, there's a, a myriad of faith. Might be a lot of faith, might be a little faith. But there's faith, right? That that's our belief because that's our hope. Is through the power of Christ we have faith, and our faith connects us into relationship with Christ, and that relationship begins today and can be sustained all the way through eternity. And so then, once we start there, when we get to communion, and we say faith is what makes something efficacious, when we hear the words of institution, and, and it those are laid over the simple elements of bread and the wine. God's word never returns void. And so we go up there and we go with small faith, big faith, a tiny spark of faith, and and we receive. And so if we understand both those things that way, 
it seems to imply that once again, young and old can receive some benefit from the sacrament. Now, here's what we do at New Life. Every church is a little bit different. Some people, you'll go through full confirmation and then receive your first communion. Some will do it younger, uh, and every church will, will be different. Some Lutheran churches will offer it to much younger. Some will withhold till much later. Uh, it's, it's really the pastor doing his best to be true to the Word of God. So with our understanding, with my understanding, I'm personally open to anyone receiving the benefits uh, as they come forward, because stepping forward is an act of faith. There's a faith connected with it. And so when people come up, we just say this, if you're uncomfortable with receiving, if you want to self-select out, cross your arms. That's for young and old. We tell the parents, if you don't want your kids receiving yet, if they're not ready, cross their arms, you'll know better than us. But if they don't, I hand them the sacrament. I give them the bread and the wine because God is once again, he is the, he is the one giving us something. We're merely the servers. And so my job is to serve the food to the people who want the food, just like I would at a restaurant. I mean, that's, that's kind of the idea of it. And so I step out and I offer it and I'm not too concerned about it because I want God to act in these people's lives. I want God to transform these people's lives. That's why I pray for every single day that people's lives are transformed. And I believe this is a tool that God can use. So we offer it. Now, we also have classes. We have classes that if you go through a journey classes, you get this. If you're an adult and you listen in service, you get this. I mean, it's kind of a class. If you came to our Monday Thursday service this year, I told a bunch of people in there who were probably from all different denominations who weren't Lutheran. I said, this is your first communion. I just explained why we believe this. And so come forward in faith and receive what God has given to you. We also have first communion classes for third grade or whoever wants to step in. I invite the parents in as well because I love proclaiming this truth that Jesus is going to do something in this moment. That's what he seems to imply. That's what he said. And so let's celebrate it. Let's be excited about it and let's receive it. And once again, I am, I'm not the bouncer. I am the server. And so I let people self-select. That's what the idea of open communion is. Um, I may be more liberal than the next person on this that I personally, like I said, I'm, I'm okay with almost anyone coming up uh, because I believe it is a step of faith, an act of faith. And so we're going to get into the scriptural basis of that because the reality is my opinion doesn't matter. Uh, it's what it's what the word of God says. And so in a second, we're going to take a look and really set the foundation for that of, of why Lutherans, even Lutherans would divide over this, but why I believe we don't have to divide over this and where scripture gives us pretty clear evidence because it's not my personal opinion. It's not me being passive in this. It's not me being fearful of stepping up and kicking people out. It's none of this. We're going to see actually four very distinct moments in time when we see self-selection versus the the host, the leader of communion, uh, pushing people away when there's very specific reasons they could have. Why don't you walk us through some of the scripture about communion? 
Sure. When we talk about this idea of open communion, who can receive, who can't, um, you've all, all been in churches probably where they've been these ideas back and forth. So as I continue to grow and learn and, and read scripture, it, I become more and more staunch in my understanding of this way. Now, if we start off, what's so interesting is we have in John 6, Jesus talking about what it offers, right? And so right away in John 6, Jesus just, what does he do? He says it how it is, and people self-select. So it says right in John 6, after he says, this is my true true body, this is my true blood, some people leave. Some people stop following him. They unfollow him in that moment, and they walk away. So right away, we see in that, we see a process of self-selection, a process that then continues. And we see it pop up again, once again, the next time he addresses this issue, which is what we call the words of institution, the Last Supper. And he's sitting down with 12 men, 12 men, right? Including Judas. And in that moment, three times in the Gospels, he, he covers the words of institution, which is, this is my body, this is my blood, given for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me, okay? He says that three times, there's three Gospels that that is written. But beyond that, in all four Gospels, it is very clear that Judas receives the sacrament, which is so interesting. Because if anyone should have been banned from the table, it was Judas. I mean, this guy literally turned on Christ, betrayed Christ, sent him to the cross, right? Judas. So right away, we see something very interesting, that Jesus, once again, has a moment where he's presiding over the sacrament. And I would say if anyone's going to be the bouncer, it's going to be Jesus, not me and my limited understanding of who you are. Jesus knew who this guy was. He predicted that he was going to betray him. And then he gives them the sacrament anyways. So interesting. Despite that, he loves Judas. He gives it to him. Now, we don't know what happens with Judas. I'm assuming that he does not make it through the pearly gates. But it's just an interesting piece of the puzzle here that that right away we see right away in John 6, people self-select. Uh, we step into the gospel writings of this Last Supper. Jesus gives to everyone who wants to receive, and Judas steps up. Now, later on, we step into 1 Corinthians. And this is the one, this is a section of scripture where everyone gets worked up about. This is where everyone divides over, and it's in, it's in 1 Corinthians 11. Now, this is what's going on. The Church of Corinth was launched and started, and right away it had a whole bunch of problems. They were doing a whole bunch of things really, really poorly. So Paul steps in, he fixes the situation or tries to fix the situation, and it works. And so all of 2 Corinthians is kind of this, this celebration that the church is actually functioning well. And so as we step into 1 Corinthians 11, one of the first things that we see is that they're having really bad communion practices. And so, like I said, this is where most people come to the conclusion that it is their job to be the bouncer of the Lord's Supper, to kick people out, not allow people to participate in, in all these things. And so, so right away, this is what this is what Paul says to them. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, right? So he's chastising them. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. 
For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And so then anyways, he's, he's very upset about this, right? They're taking of the sacrament poorly. But what's interesting right here is the reason he's mad at them is because some are receiving and some don't get to. Some go ahead and they eat everything and some are left with nothing, right? Some are getting drunk and they're full and they're stuffed and some get nothing. Now in this church, what was happening was there was a pecking order. So the rich people would go first, the poor people would go last. And so essentially what was happening is this church was prioritizing the people of high standing to go first to receive. And then they were uh, not allowing the poor people to receive. So the issue that Paul is addressing here is actually the fact that they are withholding the sacrament from those who do not have the same stature as others. All right. So this is interesting. And that's very, 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 very important. So then he keeps talking to them and, and keeps chastising them. And then he gets to this, this part that uh, this is where people get all, all worked up. It says this in, in verse 27 of that chapter 11, 1 Corinthians. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. All right. So this is what happens. It is then people read that section and, and they read into that section what they think is the inappropriate act going on. They're not reading the context. And so people read that and then different denominations across the board, then we say, well, what is an unworthy manner? Right. And so some people say people who don't have an intellectual understanding like we do cannot receive. And if they do not have the intellectual understanding that we have and they receive then God will punish them because they're not properly looking at the bread and the wine as Christ's true body and blood. Now, there's so many problems with that, because it, it, even if you go into a church that believes that you would have to literally do a litmus test on everyone who went forward to make sure that they had a certain IQ or intellectual understanding when it came to that process, right? Now, it's implied that they go through confirmation, things like that, where they're taught the small catechism and that they can do that and have that background, or they've gone through specific classes or membership classes. Uh, but the reality is, even if they go through all those classes, they're still not going to have all the exact same understanding. And so what has unintentionally happened in our society is that it used to be the hierarchy of riches that was along some people take and some people not to take. And I believe the new wave in some churches, and Lutheran churches are probably the most guilty of this, is that it becomes a dividing line of intellect. If you think exactly like I think, then you can receive God's blessings. However, if you don't, you don't get to. If you're a member and you agree exactly how we agree on every single thing, because that's why you're a member of this church, then you can receive God's blessings. But if you don't, we're going to make sure that you don't come to the table. And like I said, this was one of my major issues 
that actually brought me into the LCMC versus maybe a different branch of the Lutheran church. Because I don't believe that's what it's saying. I believe what Paul's addressing is how he began to address the crowd, which is you are restricting communion to people because you're putting people in little circles and little cliques and different hierarchy. And so now as we go on, we also see that he comes back. The reason I can 100% believe that this is what he's talking about is because on the back end of this conversation, he once again comes back around and, and redresses it and says, so then, my brothers, when you come together, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I give directions when I come. So what he's saying, once again, he's reiterating what he's talking about. When you come, everyone gets some, right? The table is open for everyone who comes. And if you behave this way, if you let everyone come and let people step forward, if they want to receive, then there will be no judgment, right? So he starts off by talking about the problem. He says, you must examine yourselves. And if you don't examine yourselves, there'll be judgment. And then he goes back and says, if you let everyone eat, then there will be no judgment. So the examination, the examination is how are we viewing the people that are in the room? Are we viewing them as rich and poor? Are we viewing them as, as smart or dumb or in line with our beliefs? And I believe that it's pretty clear here. If you look at it in its full context, what Paul is upset about is that people are taking on the role of the bouncer and not taking the role of the server. So as a, an LCMC church, as New Life Lutheran specifically, we take on the role of not the bouncer, not to keep people away from the table. Our job is to open up the table let people self-select. I want in. I don't want in. I'm not ready to step in. And then we serve them what God has told us that he gives us. Something we don't understand, but something that we receive in faith. That we get Christ's true presence and the benefits that he offered. And we are strengthened with a spiritual medicine. And so we take of it often and we receive those things and we celebrate those things. And so I believe communion is a, is a huge celebration supper. It's uh, it's a time when God is reaching out to us. I mean, Jesus even says, after he, he institutes the Lord's Supper, he tells the disciples, I will not eat of this supper again until I eat it with my Father in heaven. I mean, what a celebration that would be. He's going to go to heaven, the place of celebration, the place of no pain and suffering, and eat of the supper. I mean, a lot of us, unfortunately, we were steeped or raised in a space where we were supposed to feel bad about ourselves bad about what happened to Christ, bad about everything. And then once we were crying enough, upset enough, we could go to the table. This is a celebration meal. This is a Thanksgiving meal. I mean, Eucharist means Thanksgiving, right? Thanks be to God for what he has done, what he's offering us. Let's go forward. Let's celebrate. No matter where you are on your faith journey, if you're maybe just have a, a tiny myriad of belief and you believe and you want to step forward, you want to experience this, come forward. We're excited to have you. If you're a mature veteran, come forward and celebrate. Bring as many people as you can forward with you. I mean, that, that is the gospel, the good news that God can do something in our lives, can transform our lives. And then someday, guess what where it's going to happen? We will all gather with Jesus in heaven, and we're going to celebrate at the great feast, the great communion supper, when we experience 
Christ's true presence face to face. We can touch him, feel him, hug him. It's going to be amazing. Awesome. We're going to end there. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And also, uh, for all you listeners, make sure you rate and review on iTunes. That helps us increase our listenership and helps us get the gospel out to more and more people.